From Tragedy to Advocacy, Jeff Johnston's inspiring journey to mental health awareness. In this revealing interview, we delve into the heart-wrenching but inspiring journey of Jeff Johnson, a successful entrepreneur who turned personal tragedy into a mission for change. After losing his son, Seth, to fentanyl poisoning and his wife, Prudence, to alcoholism, Jeff dedicated his life to raising awareness about substance abuse and mental health disorders. He stepped back from his thriving career, founded The Living Undeterred Project, authored an inspirational book, and even embarked on a 95-day trip across the U.S. Now he is working on Brighton, a new project app aimed at Gen Z. Tune in to hear Jeff's powerful story and now how he's working tirelessly to end the stigma surrounding mental health and substance use. Join us in this conversation about resilience, advocacy, and hope. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Let me share with you a little bit more about our guest we have here today. Jeff Johnston, a prosperous Iowa entrepreneur, faced a tragedy in 2016 when his son Seth died from fentanyl poisoning at age 23. Rather than succumbing to bitterness, Jeff chose to advocate for substance use and addiction awareness. He returned from his financial advisory career, spoke at high schools and community events, joined a local treatment facility board, and founded the Living Undeterred Project in 2020. That same year, he authored This One's For You, an inspirational journey through addiction, death, and meaning, and launched the Living Undeterred podcast. After losing his wife, Prudence, to alcoholism in 2021, Jeff embarked on a 95-day U.S. trip in 2022 to raise awareness and combat mental health and substance abuse stigma. He is currently developing Brighton, a mental health project for Gen Z. We have a lot to talk about today, and I would love for you to please help me welcome Mr. Jeffrey Johnson. Well, thank you very much for those kind words, and sometimes I cannot imagine what's transpired in my life the last seven years, but here I am. Here you are. Here you are to share this incredible story. And I truly am a believer that through the sharing of stories is really how we embark the most change in the world. And so Jeff, thank you so much for being here on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Let's start by sharing a little bit more with our audience about you. Well, you know, it it was fairly uneventful until uh, that fateful day. But, you know, I'm from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, so pretty much 
anybody that travels flies over the state of Iowa. It's one of the main flyover states. Um, grew up in the 70s and 80s, went to college, got a finance degree, and got into investments. And that was what I was interested in. And uh, had built uh, by age 50. So I'll fast forward a few years, but by age 50, I had built uh, our company up, Premier Investments of Iowa, which I founded at age 23, right the first day out of college. And we had nine full-time employees and seven staff, and we were managing around $800 million, which for context is, no, it's not a massive firm, but it's it's a good sized firm in this area, um, bigger than a lot of the banks actually. But, and I was like, pat myself on the back. You know, I was at the time I was 50 years old. My wife, Prudence and I were married 21 years. Uh, oldest son, Seth was 23. Ian was 15. Roman was 13. And I was kind of just like, you know, really proud of all the work and all the effort and the risks I took to get where I'm at. But what people didn't know was behind the scenes, you know, I was an alcoholic, um, uh, for 30 something years, five days a week since high school, uh, as a compulsive gambler for probably 20 years. You know, when you're in the investment business, that's probably not a great thing to be involved in, but you know, that's the, that's the veil behind, you know, the reality of a lot of people's lives is they're not that living that perception that people think. And I was no different. Um, and we were having some issues with our son, Seth in regards to just, um, addiction issues and substance use. He was given Adderall at 16 and that really started the whole, um, horrific, you know, descent into hell that we can talk about later. But, um, and then on that, that day, you know, that's when everything changed October 4th, 2016, when I was reminded how fragile life can be and we all get a call and sometimes it's a call about us, but inevitably if you live, live long enough, you're going to get a call about somebody you love and people don't always die in the right order. It doesn't always go grandparents, mm. your parents, you know, in my case, our oldest son, Seth, um, lost his fight with addiction and substance use. And, uh, they found him dead in a hotel room, age 23 needle in his arm, heroin that he thought he was taking just to get high was laced with fentanyl. I had never heard of fentanyl. I mean, I, I got thrust into this world of advocacy and mental health and substance use, you know, not by choice. And so that day really started, um, this absolutely amazing, I don't know what else to say, journey that I'm on that has horrific downs that, you know, I can't describe to people I'll try, but until you've been there, it's hard to describe, but some tremendous, amazing highs, just the most awe-inspiring and wonder-inducing moments where I just go, wow, I'm so I'm so grateful for what I do have in my life uh, and the time I did spend with those that I don't have anymore. And, um, and here I am, you know, so uh, to kind of also talk about the second event that happened in my life that really changed, you know, transcended me into this place where I'm at was the death of my wife. So prudence, you know, we both were alcoholics for a long time. Um, and when Seth died, alcohol was, her coping mechanism. And I quit on December 24th of 17 with the real, you know, be honest with you, I quit because I saw her literally just dying in front of my eyes and uh, this beautiful, you know, individual nine years younger than me. I mean, just vibrant and full of life. And I could just see her just getting gr grief was just really consuming her. And so I quit thinking I would support her. And then I realized very quickly, April, that it was a good thing for me too. It's like, quitting alcohol was, was, um, something that benefited me as well. So I just have not drank since that day I quit, but I thought it would help. And, you know, it didn't. And on April, I'm sorry, on June 29th of 21, ironically, one day after our youngest son turned 18. So for just his life, the day after his birthday, you know, he has to celebrate the honor of the death of his mom, but, um, Prudence died, alcohol, grief, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. You know, and so that's, I'm tired of people dying. I, I am. I'm sick and tired of people dying. And um, my boys can't lose a dad. So I got to do what I can to be as strong as I can. And hopefully through storytelling and being vulnerable and sharing that somebody watching or listening my conversations can say, wow, you know what? This average dude out in Iowa seems to be not just surviving, but he's thriving. Yeah. Um, I want to know how he does it. And I think I can do it too. And that's that's where I'm at. It's not what I really expected I'd be doing seven years ago. 
Yes, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing that. You're right. It's being extraordinarily vulnerable and sharing our stories. And I heard a, a few things in this, a number of things. And again, thank you so much for sharing yourself so openly with the world. And on topics that are so highly needing to be discussed, mm -hmm. for sure. And when we talk about alcohol abuse or substance abuse, we don't really know always what is in it. It feels good when it's happening, when yeah. it's being done, what have you. But the scariest thing is, is if it's laced or not. And mm -hmm. I think that that is definitely this global pandemic, so to speak, where mm -hmm. our young people and well, people of all ages who are, you know, experimenting mm -hmm. with such things really have no idea of the risk. And even if they're told the risk, they get into that loop of where, oh, it feels so good. I don't care. Yeah. And you get into that deep, dark sense of yourself where nothing matters anymore. And it's a very dangerous place to be. And I have horror stories, of course, of these sort of things happening. The horror story that we're sharing here today uh, when I was during my time in law enforcement and all of the schooling and just being really aware of all of this. And so I see too, when it came to your wife, that when it comes to matters of the heart, those are the hardest things to get out of. So easy to go into some sort of addiction to not feel that feeling of emotion. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I'm always very hesitant in getting too deep into her story because everybody deals with these things differently. And I don't have any desire to throw her under the bus or speak disparaging of her. But when you lose a child, all bets are off. It's like, you know, I used to watch movies, you know, and people would lose a child. And I think to myself, you know, got three. It's like, man, what would I do if I lost one? And, uh, I think I every look, parent sort of yeah. thinks that at some point, yeah, we I don't, don't want to, yeah. but right. the thought comes. Yep. And there isn't a template. There's no, I mean, there's people like me, there's, you know, thousands of really amazing people that I've met and, um, share their stories of vulnerability. And I try to pick and choose some valuable parts of their story to help me, but there, there's no template. I mean, life is like the life is a great educator but death is the ultimate teacher you know mm. and death just clarifies everything it takes all the frivolous stuff off the table it makes you understand how many things you used to get mad at you used to stress about um now that just don't matter anymore um and uh it's a mindset thing i've i've learned and i i was fortunate that i was a fairly positive person most of my life and i have issues you know um but most of my life, I, I tend to look at things, the, the positive angle. And I, I read a lot of stoicism back in college. I was really interested in this ability to reframe things. And, you know, death is probably one of the things that's the hardest to understand why our society has such a tough time with it, because we all know it's coming. I mean, mm -hmm. I may not win the lottery. I may not get cancer. I may not get by car. My plane may not crash, but I'm going to die. And so is everybody I've ever met in my entire lifetime. Everybody I care about is going to die. Pets are going to die. I mean, yet we're just so woefully unprepared. Um, we're in such denial and I'm not downplaying my pain. I trust me. I, as you know, I had a gun to my head two, two, two years ago. So, I mean, I I've been at the worst places a human can be. Um, but I've also survived hundred percent of every terrible thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. I really have. I've, yeah, I'm a, I've, I've survived 100% of every negative thought, every horrible event, every bad moment. Um, I've survived them all. So what makes me think I can't survive the next one? Yeah, I can. That's the thing. Uh, and shows like yours and my show and all the different conversations I have remind me that, you know, this isn't about Jeff Johnston. This isn't about me. This is a we narrative. This is about us. And we're all hurting. We're all in pain. COVID and social media can be so cruel. And, you know, every single person that watches my podcast and listens and watches yours and reads my book, I mean, they've all got a story, you know, and 
mine is just my story. It's, I honestly don't think my story is any more tragic than anyone else's story. Be honest with you. Cause grief comparison can be really nasty. If you sit around, of course, why am I sad? If Jeff lost two people and look what he's doing, why can't I be like, it's eh. I've got people that never had kids, never married that put their cat down of 14 years and it's devastating to them. It's yeah, like losing a child. Yeah. It's like losing. Yeah. So I think one lesson I've learned in this whole journey I'm on is, you know, make it less about me and more about you, more about we, because that's how we're going to get out of this mental health crisis is together, not individually, not with pills, not with labels and diagnosis, not with therapists, but we're going to do it, you know, holding hands and walking side by side and coming out of the mist, you know, I mean, that's, that's the way we're going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, Jeff, there's a lot here. And so what I'm curious about is because you have been speaking to so many people across the board, there's been other inspiring stories that you've heard. Mm. There has been times and moments where you have experienced having such an impact on others that you have an understanding of why it is you're doing what you do. And also it's the motivation to continue being that light in the world for others. So that being said, what are some of those most impactful moments that you have experienced through huh. this journey? What a question Two come to mind. Um, the first one is after Seth died. Uh, I was, you know, obviously very distraught and I'm on, I'm on, I think MSN or something. And anyway, I come across an article of a gentleman who, uh, his name's Steve Grant. He's from Greensville, South Carolina. And he had an article in, in uh, not the wall street journal. Maybe it was the wall street journal and I'm reading it. And, you know, he loses his son, Chris to heroin. You know, this was in the, this was like 20 something years ago. And I keep reading the story and five years later, he loses his other son. Kelly. I mean, here's a dad. And these are his only two sons. I still have two left. These, this is a gentleman my age, about a little older than me, in the same business I'm in. And he's lost two sons five years apart. And I frantically emailed him and said, I have to talk to you. I, I need to talk to you. And we become fast friends. And he runs the Chris and Kelly Hope Foundation. And he's was an early mentor to me. And it's like, I kept thinking to myself, He's lost his only two sons. He lost his marriage over it. His wife didn't die, but they got divorced, but he remarried and he's, you know, he's an advocate. He's kind of a quiet advocate. I think he's realized that you, you can advocate yourself to your grave. And at some point you, you kind of get a little bit tired of doing it. And I, I, I certainly can understand that. But anyway, Steve has been a really good friend. He was one of my early podcast guests. And again, um, he's got a book um, called Don't Forget Me. And I'd recommend anybody that wants to read an absolutely amazing book. Uh, it's Steve Grant and it's don't forget mm -hmm. me. That's a powerful and, title. Yeah. Oh. And, and, uh, boy, it, I get, I get really emotional thinking about it. Matter of fact, I got to call Steve and talk to him. I haven't talked to him in a while, but you know, there was early times when I was really bad place. I would call him out of the blue and we talked for hours, you know, and, um, yeah. another dad, it's kind of been through not just what I went through, but times two. But you know, the other thing is I have two other sons that have deflected a lot of my grief, April. Yeah. And honestly, that's when I had that position where I was considering suicide two some two Christmases ago, it was my two sons that kept me from pulling that trigger. Yeah, I imagine. And so. he doesn't have those. And it's like, you know, so that's one story. Then the other story I was in, I think it was Reno, um, Nevada, doing a, a my tour last summer around the country. And there was a gentleman sitting up front and I got done talking and he was very moved and emotional and we were talking and he came up afterwards and someone, he didn't really want to tell me his story, but someone else introduced us and then kind of filled us in. But in a nutshell, um, he, he and his wife were having some marital problems. Um, a lot of his friends were egging him on about, oh, just, you know, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. His wife was kind of pressure him as well that, you know, I, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you. So he, he thought, well, okay, I'm just going to get divorced. So he filed divorce. They had two kids. I think it was two daughters. And, uh, so she then immediately didn't want to get divorced once he filed. And then she started getting really upset and, uh, they had joint custody. They were going through a separation and he went to, um, to pick him up 
the kids one day and knocked on the door and no one answered. And, um, long story short, um, he called his brother and his brother came over and came into the house and his ex-wife had shot their two daughters and then shot herself. Oh gosh. Oh. And, I, and I'm just, I'm hugging this guy crying with him going, man, I just cannot, I just can't fathom that. I know people hear my story and they go, I can't fathom what Jeff's going through. Well, I've heard stories that I can't fathom. Yeah. And I'm sure that person's heard stories he can't fathom. It's like, and that's, I guess, something really beautiful about storytelling and being vulnerable is that we can work our way out of this by talking about the yeah. tough times we've had and sharing them. And really, you know, those people that we lose, they continue living the more we talk about them. As tough as it mm -hmm. gets, they only yeah. really die. They only really die when you stop talking about them. And I refuse yeah. to do that with Seth and Prudence. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a very extraordinary story. Jeff, what I want to know about that, when we talk about how we can't imagine, we can't comprehend, we cannot fathom what somebody else has gone through. And we don't really want to, right? right. But have you had experiences, and I, I would imagine that you certainly have, where people express that to you based on your experiences. And because of that, how did that make you feel when other people addressed you in that sense? Like, I can't imagine. I'm so sorry. And you hear that so often. And you, you almost feel like, well, people can't relate or maybe I'm tired of hearing that, but I'm just curious, mm. what is your, what is your take on that? And what is your experience on, on that? Well, obviously I never want anyone to endure what we've endured. I mean, obviously that would be the, the best case scenario. No one ever have to, to lose loved ones to things that were very preventable, like drug, alcohol, or suicide. Um, mm. I guess early on sympathy and pity were something I fed off of. Um, I kind of needed that attention. And as I evolved from the experience of death, uh, I got more into empathy and compassion and love and strength and courage. And so I would say someone can make a statement to me and I take it now from a place of empathy, not sympathy. And to me, that's a much more encouraging way to receive someone else's gift of care. Um, instead of like pity, I just, I despise pity. I'm, I'm not, I don't share my story to get pity from anybody. Um, and I think that comes across when I talk to people and that this is about love. It's about hope. It's about empowerment. It's about inspiration. Uh, you know, death is what it's going to do. <laughs> I don't have any, I have, I mean, I take care of myself. I meditate. I, I work out almost an hour and a half every morning. You know, I eat really good, but you know, I could get hit by a car. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like you do what you can to prepare yourself for the marathon of life. But at the end of the day, you know, you've got to really find enjoyment in even the tough times you're having in the middle of the day. You got to find ways to be awe and inspired because mm. that car can hit you anytime, you know, or that yeah. call you can get, you know, my son just wanted to get high. He didn't want to die. And my wife just wanted to drink to numb the pain. Mm. She didn't want to die either. Yeah. But they both did. So, you know, what's the lesson from all that? Well, we need to reduce stigma. We need to get help for people when they ask. And if they don't ask, we got to find creative ways to get them help anyway. Um, yeah. There's a fine line between enabling and tough love. And any parent that's has an addicted loved one knows what it's like. Here's 20 bucks, you know, and you know darn well they're going to go buy cigarettes with it. But yeah. Maybe they'll buy uh, McDonald's or something with it. I don't know, but here's 20. You know, I did that with Seth. I, I got him an apartment. I got him a car, but you know, um, I don't know what to tell a parent. I, there is no template out there. It's just, you keep making up stuff from a place of love, but yeah. at some point you just can't enable those that are battling. You got to let them figure it yeah. out themselves, but you just hope that Brock bottom isn't death. Mm. And with fentanyl, everything's changed. The The whole yeah. The whole landscape of, of just people getting rock bottom and working it out and, you know, making mistakes. And I was younger. We just got drunk. I mean, you know, nobody died. Yeah. You There's know? a million different ways that you can look at this. Right. Mm -hmm. And, 
And, you know, in the perspective of being a parent, when you have a child that has a substance abuse issue and you see them going down this horrific path, they're stealing, they're hanging out with the wrong people. They're, they're not themselves. You don't recognize them. You cannot have a normal conversation with them because they're so distorted that nothing really makes sense to them anyway. They can't comprehend the way that you need to be able to have a conversation with them, right? To be able to express your, you know, your sadness for them. And Mm -hmm. it is so challenging as a parent to be in that space where we care so much. And if I can extend this outside of substance abuse, Mm -hmm. but just as a parent wanting so badly to explain, express, protect Uh, Let's go that route, the protection role where we don't want our children to experience this, the horrific sides of life. Mm -hmm. And I feel too, Jeff, that as a parent, that's one of the hardest lessons to be able to let go, to be able to allow our children to experience life the way that they're supposed to experience it. Mm-hmm. whatever regard that is, and to know that that is their soul's journey. And I believe that that was the easiest way for me to come to an understanding of acceptance and allowance of that is to say they're on their own soul's journey. We all are. Mm-hmm. And who am I to get in the way of that? Because they have to grow and experience this life in whatever way they need to. Yeah. Like I said, fentanyl has changed kind of that lens to view it from, because I always thought, Oh, it's a rite of passage. And I remember a time in camping up in Minnesota with all the other guys and their sons that, you know, I I had Seth was drinking beer probably at an age he shouldn't have been, but that's what I did when I was younger and my dad's dad. And, you know, it's just, you just kind of pass the baton and, kind of a rite of passage. You just don't see them seven years later in a hotel room with a needle in their arm, dead from fentanyl. You don't see that. But you know, if I replay and reverse engineer from, from really his Adderall prescription at 16, that's, that's the beginning of where this all started. Uh, for anybody watching and listening, I'm not telling you to get off Adderall. I'm just telling you for my son, it wasn't the best first option. We should have exhausted other options and tell them attention deficits a disorder is criminal personally. Um, and I, I get really off on that a lot with my advocacy about how it just seems like, you know, we just keep inventing these, these clinical terms that we can throw words disorder on everything. And one that came to mind the other day that just set me off more than I've ever been set off is this new addition to the DSM called prolonged grief disorder. And mm-hmm. I just like, I said, what, what's, what's prolonged. First of all, who has the right to tell me my grief's prolonged? I mean, who, who has the authority and the right to tell me my grief is too long and how long's too long? Well, according to the DSM, it's a year, it's a year. And I'm like, okay, so I lost my son. And you say after a year, if I'm still really grieving and it's adversely affecting my life, this is now a disorder. And then I lost my wife. And then four months later, my mom died. So in five years, I lost my mom, my wife, and my son. Where does the 12 months start? Where does it end? Do I get any, do I get an extra bonus because I had three people die? It's like, it's, I call BS on this and I get so frustrated. We've got to stop inventing these, these fictitious disorders and let people do what they need to do. Let us be human. Let us grieve. Let us cry. Let us love. Let us take risks. Let us fail. And stop calling everything that's served us well through evolution for millions of years. Call these things disorders is just an embarrassment to humanity. And I, I'll go, I'll follow my sword on that. Uh, I really mm. will. It really, it really irritates me. And to tell a kid that's 15 that looks out the window that gets nervous when he has to give a speech and he thinks about whatever he thinks about and his leg shaking all the time. You know what? That was me. I I'm that guy and I've never taken anything for attention deficit. I have full blown attention deficit. My dad always told me it was a superpower. He said, Jeff, 
you can only take it out of kids. You can't put it in them. Mm. Yeah, that, that just like floored me. I'm like, man, you're right. I have this something in me that kids would kill to have. I'm not going to give it away. Why the hell do we not tell kids that that's the way to look at these things? Mm. We don't do that. And I'm on a crusade to try to get back to simple things about getting out in the sunshine more, playing nature, drinking water, eating, you know, less, less, um, fried foods, less time on social media. Um, yeah. stop lying, you know, stop being deceitful, stop worrying about other things that are free. Don't take any meds and certainly doesn't, does, you know, demand any time in a therapist's office. Yeah. Jeff. Now I know that you've spent an immense amount of time in your thoughts, going back on what you could have done differently, should have done, right? We mm -hmm. all, that is so natural. And I think that's important for everyone to know that all of those thoughts are a hundred percent human. And of course, we know that the stages of grief are many and they don't all happen at once or in a row. Right. So we've touched on that a little bit too, which is something very powerful to be aware of. So you don't feel like what you're experiencing is wrong because there's nothing wrong about it. There's nothing wrong about grief. And, you know, we could dwell on that, on going back and thinking as a parent, all the things we could have done differently. And, you know, with your wife as well, all the things we could have, should have done. And I'm curious though, let's put that in a different perspective on as you have come out into the world and you've been this light and you've shared your stories and your insight, what have you seen as far as success stories by sharing your words and your insight? Hmm, good question, because, you know, it, it's one thing to spend all the time focusing about all the things that happened to me, but these things all also happened for me. And on my tour last summer, I was afforded the opportunity to meet some amazing success stories. And yeah. I get literally daily, either a text, email, DM on my social media platforms of, I get the bad ones too. I mean, almost daily. Like someone lets me know that somebody died. 850 Americans die every day in the United, you know, 850 Americans from the deaths of despair, overdose, alcohol, suicide. So yeah. that's a day, but it's a lot. Yeah. But there's more that live than die. Um, much more. And we can't, we can't do much with the ones that aren't here, but we can with the ones that are still that aren't here, but we can with the ones that are here. So, um, honor those that aren't here, live for those that are. And there's millions and millions and millions of Americans a day that destruction, devastation, divorce, bankruptcy, all these things have come into their house, but nobody's died. And it's all based to alcohol, substance abuse, mental, mental illness, whatever. Um, but there's so many really good stories too. I'll get texts and I'll get emails from kids and I'll speak at, and they'll come up afterwards. And, um, even I opened my book with, um, a speech I did or a talk I did, I think they were seventh graders. And when I was done, there was a kid kind of cowering in the back. And when you've ever public spoke, you know, when someone wants to talk to you, but they want to wait till everyone leaves. Mm. So this kid was kind of hovering back there and, and he comes up and he's 14, <laughs> 14. He tells me his name and he had been in rehab for like a year, alcohol rehab. The same place that I'm a board of directors on ASAC here in Cedar Rapids. And he, he gives me a note and it says, Mr. Johnston, stay strong. That's from a 14 year old. And those moments just changed my life. You know, as much as I think I'm impacting kids, that note that kid gave me, cause he saw me struggling. He saw me crying and you know, he's, he's 14 and he's already been in alcohol rehab. You know, it's like, the age of first use. And I found out later after I wrote my book and after I opened up my book with that story, the age of first use in the United States is 14 and half of all mental illness starts by 14. So mm. that's this convergence of this data. Now it has me really excited about advocacy for Gen Z, which is basically yeah. 14 to 26. But yeah, there's, yeah. there's more good stories than bad. You know, we tend to focus on the death statistics and the school shootings and the car crashes, but there's more people to get the work and don't die than those that do that don't. And there's more mm -hmm. schools that don't get shot up than do. And it's like, you know, I, I think 
it's hard. It's natural for us to drive by a car accident, want to slow down and look at it. You know, it's just natural. So we're kind of driven by that chaos and um, social media knows that. And with kids, the algorithms are designed for that intent to keep people on their phones and they're not going to do it by telling success stories. Right. Well, and that story that you just shared with us, Jeff, is definitely, I can see the passion project behind, and I'll put it on the screen, but the Brighton Mm -hmm. app, I would love to learn some more about what this is that you're creating for Gen Z. Yeah. So the idea came when I was on the tour last summer around the country in my RV and we camp up at KOAs and sometimes Walmart parking lots. And I I was getting very frustrated that I wasn't doing enough. And that's one, I guess, curse with attention deficit, or maybe it's a blessing. I'm never satisfied with anything I do. I'm I'm my worst critic. And, you know, I know, I know I'm doing, you know, doing a lot and I know people are getting helped. Um, but I'm like, what's, there's gotta be more. I can do more. I can do more. And I thought, well, I'm a harm reductionist. So basically I'm all for whatever it takes to give those people struggling one extra day. So we got to provide them safe needles. We got to test their heroin for fentanyl. Then so be it, you know, one more day, maybe, maybe tomorrow they quit and they can always look back and say, well, that last needle I had that was clean. I decided to quit that day. You know, who am I to say that person's sober date isn't that day that we gave them a needle. So I'm a harm reductionist. So in harm reduction, they say, go to where they're at, go to where those that are addicted are at. Right. So I got to thinking, I want to help kids. Gen Z is a sinking ship at this point. Um, Where are they at? They're on their phones. 95% of all Gen Z kids in the world, this is a third of the world's population. So it's the largest group ever as a generation in human history. Um, They're on their phones. So I could write a book for kids. I could, you know, uh, develop a curriculum for a school, but kids aren't in school all day long but they're on their phones. And so mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll do an app. Well, pff, I've never done an app. I don't know what it entails. I don't, I don't have any startup background, but I have something that a lot of people that have done that don't have. And I have this undeniable passion mm-hmm. and, um, I'm going to figure out a way. So I quit my investment company. I sold it and, um, you know, uh, probably five years, seven years earlier than I should have, but I don't care. I'm 57. I got like 20 really good years ahead of me to do this, you know, to help kids and, um, never looked back and, uh, hired a company out of DC to start building this app. And so the idea was this, we didn't want to be therapy. We don't want to be prevention necessarily. We want to be empowerment. So we want to show kids it's okay Mm -hmm. to self-assess and autonomously build their own mental wellness plan. So why do I use the word plan? Well, I'll tell you why. I'm a financial planner. That's what I did for 34 years. I would take your money. I do a plan. I'd come back and I'd say, buy these stocks, buy these real estate, buy this mutual fund, buy this bond, whatever. And I thought, is there a way I could take what I'm good at, find a way to help kids with mental health on a planning platform? And mm. so the idea of Brighton being a mental wellness planning platform for kids is what was born. And I thought, well, what would be my asset classes? If, if money is stocks, bonds, and real estate, what would it be for mental health? And so I kind of played that game where if I could be the creator for a day, you know, if I could form the perfect Gen Zer with no mental health issues, what things would I focus on the most? Well, health was obviously the first one, right? Mm. You know, meditation, mindfulness, eating healthy exercise, you know, all the things that you're doing for your, your body. And I thought, well, how about meaning and purpose? When I was doing my recon and doing my studies on Gen Z, they're the biggest generation, but they're also the most lost generation in in human history. So they watch mom and dad fight about Trump and Biden, about global, global climate change, about oceans being polluted and the reefs being destroyed and about, um, you know, world hunger and uh, all these issues. And they're just like frustrated with even getting out of bed, you know? And I was thinking to myself, April, what's the third one? I've got health, meaning and purpose. Is it spirituality? Well, that's kind of meaning and purpose. I mean, mm. so what is it? Well, duh, I'm a financial advisor. Let me go back to my roots. 70% of American adults live paycheck to paycheck. And 80% of them can't get their hands on $1,000 by the end of the day without borrowing it. That's mm. a problem. 
schools teach about the quantitative aspects of money, not the qualitative, not the emotion behind money. In other words, a healthy relationship with money. And you may say, well, okay, but why is that important? Well, Forbes magazine had a study, the number one stressor for older Gen Z. So 18 to 26, which is basically high school and everything afterwards. Number one stressor, April was financial insecurity. Mm -hmm. Those are my three tenets of our app, health, wealth, and purpose. So if I could design a system where kids could come in, self-assess, take a very short onboarding quiz, autonomously build. In other words, we send them opportunities um, through artificial intelligence, and they could focus on those three areas at their own discretion, not clinical, but credible. We got a chance. I have no idea. I have no idea if it's going to work. I I don't have any idea it's going to work, but I tell you what, it's not going to fail. Yeah. That I know. I think what's what's beautiful about this, Jeff, what I hear is you have really utilized what you're good at, your background into integrating this newfound passion and the desire to do something incredible for our, you know, the next generations to come. Mm -hmm. And I love that you also bring in that choice aspect for them to really be creative in the style in which they use the app. Mm -hmm. And there's so much power in that. I mean, we, there's numerous parent books on that, on really allowing your children to have choice amongst other things. Right. And it's, it's just this beautiful thing where you can use something that you're really good at, that you spent so many years Mm -hmm. in your past and, you know, being able to bring that to light because you became an expert in that. So Mm -hmm. how do you use it? And so your story, Jeff, is something that is, is really beautiful to be able to shine light on that. Yeah. And and then what I didn't tell people, um, which really kind of puts a bow tie on this for me was when Seth died three weeks later, his daughter was born and her birthday was Sunday. Uh, and she's seven now and her name is Brighton. Oh, that's every, beautiful. I know every time I see her, I get on one knee and I just look in her eyes and say, Brighton, you brighten my life. And where's your dad? And she says in my heart. And I said, yeah. And I said, do you want to smell like him? She goes, yeah. So I go in my bathroom. I have two bottles of cologne that I found that were Seth's when he died. And I let her pick out how she wants to smell, you know? And, um, it's like, I'm so grateful for what I have. It's like, um, it's easy for me to wallow in pity, but man, I just, it's not productive. You know, I just don't ever want to go back to sitting in my closet with that gun to my head ever again. And I do all I can every day to avoid that moment. Um, but I'm prepared if those thoughts come back. I mean, I'm prepared to observe them, not judge them, not try to fight it. Just let the thought die. And, um, you know, it's, this is what helps me. I don't know if it's going to help anyone else, but this helps me. Um, and I find new little tools to add all the time. You know, uh, I'm a, I don't watch any TV. So, when I do watch TV, it's documentaries on, you can probably guess what. Um, I listen to podcasts. I mean, it's all I do. So I'll add your your show to my list. I mean, I have probably 50 in my, in my Spotify playlist where I just, when I work out or go for a walk or I'm doing whatever, I have podcasts playing in the background all the time. I just like conversation. I This, this format, I love human interaction. I, I'm very curious and I just, um, I try not to listen to podcasts or the same topics so I don't get biased, you know, all the cognitive biases that are out there and echo chamber mm-hmm. effect. And so, um, I don't know. I mean, I feel I'm pretty fortunate in the regard that I'm curious and I'm willing not to say I know everything. Uh, and I certainly don't. And how can any human think they, they know anything or everything? It's like, there's so much out there we don't know. And I think, I really think I'm really optimistic that we can do better with Gen Z mental wellness. I really am. Yeah. Jeff, there's no words that can describe uh, what we just experienced seeing you feeling in that gratitude piece of your life with your granddaughter Hmm. 
And there just simply is no words to to go there to express what that is. And I think that that is why gratitude is like at the number one thing of how we should address anything that comes in life. And as much as possible on a consistency that is is daily, hourly, minutely, as much as we can push it into our lives and express and feel into gratitude of what we have. And, you know, being able to do that and tap into that emotion is, is something that is really going to help us have this much better perspective on our, our daily life and our thoughts and our feelings. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's, you're constantly learning. You're constantly evolving. Um, I don't want to get over the death of Seth and Prudence. I've chosen to not get over it because if I try to get over it, I'm setting myself up for failure. How can you mm -hmm. get over somebody that you love right. or, or two or one or three people? That's why that, that prolonged grief disorder set me off the other day. I got very, very upset that why would I want to stop talking about them? They, they truly die if I do that. So it's like, but I don't want to sit there all day long, you know, and mm -hmm. dwell in, in that fact. So anybody that's going through anything that's traumatic in their past, it doesn't have to be death related, you know, take that deep breath, be very grateful for what you do have. And we all have good things going on, whether you know it or not, you do, because there's always somebody that's got it worse than you. And there's always someone that's got it better than you. Um, and finding that balance is really, I think the key of life, you know, and that's why I think chasing happiness is such a illusion for people because happiness is such a short-term goal. Um, it's not balance. You know, chasing happiness doesn't give you any balance, but I think peace and joy does. I think that, that gives you, you know, as, as they say, homeostasis is that natural inclination for our bodies to go back to a balanced state. Well, we get very high. We get very excited about something. We're out of homeostasis. We get very down and sad and grieving. We're out of homeostasis. So you got to find ways to kind of get back to balance. So I gave up trying to be happy. That's uh, not possible. I can have happy moments, but happiness to me is very short fleeting emotion. Whereas I, I'm in the pursuit to find joy in my life and find mm. peace, uh, and quiet and, um, solace and all those fancy terms. But, um, I'm grateful. You really, really great. Am. You used a really great word and expression earlier, which was, ah, mm. when you, when you seek this experience that brings this ah mm -hmm. to you, like, you know, when, when we go out and we're, seeing this vast beauty in the mountains and wow. you just have that feeling. Uh, you know, that's, that's very cool that you know that you want to go seek that out, that you want to experience different things that do bring you joy. Uh -huh. Jeffrey, it's been so great to listen to your stories and the inspiration. What is the next big thing for you? Hmm. I'm, I'm told by the people I work with, don't do any more big things because <laughs> I just keep inventing things and running down different roads. Uh, the next big thing. It's a good question. I got to get Brighton, our, our app, much more impactful and effective. I have to get it. So it's engaging for kids because I'm up against the TikToks and the Instagrams. And so I know and parents know and teachers know that it's a benefit, but the kids need to believe it or it won't work. So mm -hmm. I'm continually bringing on content providers and people that want to be a part of this team to figure out ways to engage kids without addicting them. That's the irony mm -hmm. of all ironies is I'm trying right. to take their phones and, and criticize the addictive nature, but then I'm you know, my, my startup company is an app that I want kids to stay on the phone. But yeah. I guess for me, where I've kind of settled is it's not, it's not the time on Brighton that's important for us. It's the timing of Brighton. What times of the day are the young adults using it? Mm. It's important to me. And the first 15 is everything. The first 15 of every morning is everything. And that goes for adults. That's you and me. That's 
I don't look at my phone. I get up normally around five, five fifteen, and I'm done working out meditation, yo, all my stretching by about seven 45, roughly. I'm not on my phone at all. First three hours of every morning. If, the only thing I'm on is my meditation app. I have to go to my phone, click on my app, put my mask on and my cat sits in my lap for 30 minutes. And I just put my hand on his heart. I don't pet him or anything. I just feel his heart. Mm. I tell you, it moves me so much to be able to do that, to feel another animal. And he comes to me in the dark every time I meditate and just sits there and he just trusts me, you know, and it's such a loving moment that I don't think we appreciate moments like that until you don't have them anymore. And I would mm. kill, I'd just give anything to be able to hug my son again. And, uh, argue with my wife or to have dinner with her or to complain about something, you know, I give anything to have those chances back and I don't. Um, but other people do. And maybe they can go home tonight and tell their kids. I tell my two boys, I love them every moment of every day. I text them all day long. And, um, I probably never would have done that had not my son died. And my 89 year old dad. I mean, I never told my dad I loved him. Now I hug him and kiss him and tell him I love him. It's like, mm. why, why, why did it have to take death for me to realize that? That's the story. That's the lesson in this whole thing. You don't have to wait to go to someone's funeral to decide to all of a sudden be loving and caring. You can do that right now. Um, what's stopping you? It's certainly never going to stop me again. I, People that are in my life know how much I care about them because I'm not holding back anymore. And, you know, the last thing I said to my son, you know, it's, he was in prison. Seth was, and I thought that was rock bottom for him. And, um, he got out of prison early and he was in my garage and, um, his boxes were sitting there and he had a couple of friends with them and he just assumed he was going to move back in our house. And, um, I said, no, Seth, you can't. That ship has sailed. I mean, you're in a group of friends that do drugs and I, I'm not convinced that, you know, you've, that, so I gave him some money and I wouldn't let him back in my house. And then I turned around and went, in the, went back in my house and I said, you know what, Seth? I said, you need to quit drinking. And I shut my door. I never saw him again. And so last thing I said to my son. How, how inspirational is that? Huh? I mean, how encouraging is that? It's like, that's one thing I could have back. I would have told him I loved him. So I can do that through my advocacy, I guess is where I'm going with this. I can do that through inspiring people to look at life differently and stop getting hung up on the petty things that really are meaningless at the end of the day and tell people that you really love them, tell them that you love them and cry with them and, and listen to them when they have problems and don't judge them and talk down to them and be there for them and let them make their own mistakes. And God forbid, you know, it ends up being death, but you know, if it is, then so be it. I mean, you can't, you can't live someone's life for them. Um, you just can't. I'm old for two. And, uh, doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying, but you know, if my other sons are having problems, I'm going to be there for them. They know I'm going to be there for them, but I'm not going to live their life for them. Yeah. Jeff, that was beautifully said. Thank you so much for sharing that part of you. And I know for all of us watching, it's very, very heartfelt moving for those of us listening. And you are such an inspiration for that. And I've said it before. I've, I've said it and you know it. It's within those stories to be able to share with others where we can say, me too, I understand, and where we can encourage others the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, life is beautiful. I mean, the we've had two conversations now and I, 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 I'm happy we met. I'm happy our paths crossed. It's like, you know. I could be just shutting everything down and drinking and being miserable. And then my kids are going to another funeral. It's like, I can't, I can't, I can't do that, you know? Um, but it sucks. It does. I have heart. I mean, I have really bad, dark moments. Um, but I've just tried to keep them very short. Um, but like I said, I think, I think this repressing and not, 
dealing with your grief. I call it sitting in my grief. So when I feel it coming, like I just did a few seconds ago when I was talking with you, you know, if it had, had that happened by myself, I just would have laid on the floor and just let it all come out and cry. And, and my dog, yeah. my lab comes across the room and licks my face and I have to push him away sometimes because I say, Camus, I'm not done crying. Leave me alone. <laughs> Cause he's so, I mean, animals are so attuned to human they are emotion. So yeah. And, and I love know, that you brought up the cat. Yeah. During meditation. He's great. He's my meditation buddy. Uh, my cat does the same thing in your lap. Just, just sits yeah. She, Isn't that great? Every time I meditate, it's like she has to be with me. And I don't know. I'm very curious, Jeff, what your experience is. But if I go into a very deep, deep meditation where and, and people will know if they're familiar with it, but your body shakes because that energy mm-hmm. is is moving through the chakras, through the systems and you're releasing energy or it's moving in some fashion. Well, you ever see an animal shake? Yeah. You know, that's how they release the energy too. Mm -hmm. And so she's done that a number of times as well. So it's like, we both have this beautiful experience, like almost like she's meditating with me and it's just a really cool thing. So I'm curious if you've experienced anything like that with your animals. I have with, I have three animals, uh, two dogs and a cat, but I, I will tell you something that I practice and it's old stoic trick. Uh, it's called negative visual visualization. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is the idea that, um, so for example, let's say you're, t- you're tucking your kid into bed and you kiss their forehead and you just stare at that young child there. And for just a moment, you think if they were to die, you have a negative visual visualization. you visualize something negative mm-hmm. just for a moment. And then you think to yourself, well, they didn't, I've got this moment now, you know? And again, I think if you practice moments like that, like when I hold my cat's heart and I'm meditating, I just think, man, if he's not here, if he would, if we had to put him down tomorrow, but I'm not, I got to enjoy him for a long time now. It's like, and I think negative visualization can help you really have gratitude because you're actually living a terrible moment before it happens with Mm. the, with the gathering that data without having the actual terrible moment happen. You're definitely going into the contrast, the yin and the yang. You know, we, we have to have that. We, we were designed to experience, uh, good or bad, or who is to say what good or bad is, but you know, we, we are designed to experience all of it. Mm -hmm. And in order to really have appreciation and understanding for anything else. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm much, I mean, if there's one advice I would give anyone with listening, watching, uh, whatever is during your day, during, during your day that you go through your day, take moments when you literally just stop and look at the person you're talking to and really look at them like in their eye intimately and really understand because we want to talk to people. We want to our tendency is to think about what we want to say next. And so we're like, uh, yeah, mm, uh, yeah. I would probably do that on the show here today. It's it's normal, but through meditation, I've learned to just select moments. And maybe I'm at the store, maybe I'm at the gas station or something. And the counter person behind there is, you know, the person before me was really rude to him. And now I can just sit there and look at him and say, Oh, you know, how's your day going? You know, my day's going great. You know, just little moments like that, you know, it, it, <laughs> You wouldn't believe what that can do, that ripple effect, that butterfly effect. If we all did that, if every human on the planet did that four times a day, think of the good that could come out of that in humanity instead of what happens the other way. We're all in a hurry. We're all mad. Our food's cold, you know, the, this and that, you know, and we're all just consumed with ourselves and that has a ripple effect as well. So that would be my food for thought for anyone out there is just take tomorrow, maybe during your day, just randomly, not acts of kindness, but just acts of attention. Just, mm. just be attention. Just give somebody, give somebody some love with your eyes or whatever it can be, you know, and my guess is they'll brighten up their day, you know, no pun intended, but mm. um, yeah, there is. It's great. <laughs> I like it. Maybe there's I a like little it. subtle pun in there, but um, no, no that's I, beautiful I, advice. Yeah. I wasn't this guy. I, I wasn't this guy. If you, if you talked to me seven years ago, I was a selfish, 
arrogant, narcissistic, capitalist, um, money hungry, you know, 190 pound alcoholic, you know, um, no, it's not and, oftentimes it takes that tragedy or that whirlwind of life to wake us up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I would, I would agree. So Jeff, I'm curious because you're doing so many incredible things now and you've experienced tragedy to some extreme levels and you still deal with that on a daily basis. Like you said, it's not mm-hmm. something you just get over. No, You just learn to manage those energies in a different way. And so I'm curious, you, you do some, I heard you say that you did have this beautiful morning routine. What is something that you would not give up that you feel is so powerful that you have to continue on every single day? What's your non-negotiable? My morning routine, my first three hours, I, it's non-negotiable. Um, only time that it is negotiable, if I'm traveling and I have to give us, you know, eight o'clock keynote or something, and then I got to travel. So there's times where I just can't physically do it, but, uh, if I can control it, you know, it's, it's up, it's 30 to 45 minutes of meditation, um, mindfulness meditation, and it's immediately to my elliptical, put on a podcast. I run 30 minutes, I get off, I lift weights for maybe about five or six minutes. You know, I'm, I'm 57. I'm not into being big and buff. I'm just trying to stay in good shape. Go back on, run another 30 minutes, jump off, lift weights again. Again, all listening to podcasts, trying to increase my, my intelligence level. Um, go back on, run another 30 minutes. And then sometimes I'll sit in my sauna. Sometimes I'll hot tub, but I always try to stretch. Um, I've got a bad back. So I know if I stretch, my back feels really good the next morning. Um, I do all that. I go up and I eat a very good breakfast. And then like by eight o'clock, I've had a pretty damn good day, you know, and I have my coffee. I drink one caffeinated coffee. Then I go half calf and then I go decaf and I'm routine. I'm not OCD. I'm just routine, but I never want to get back to sitting in my closet with that gun to my head, counting back to 10. I got the three April. I got the three Mm -hmm. and I, I, I will go back there if I skip my if I take shortcuts on my healing, cause that's what got me in there in the first place. I yeah. stopped meditating. I stopped working out, ended up in my closet. I'm yeah. not doing that again. Yeah. My non-negotiable is to keep me alive. So yeah. yeah. And that's it. So by eight, then the rest of my day, do whatever the hell I want, you know, which I end up doing stuff like this. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, really such cool things that you're doing and able to share with us that maybe we can try out in corporate too. I like to say that, you know, it's not going to be the same for everybody. Everybody Mm -hmm. has to find out what works for them, what jives for them. I I loved how you do the the coffee and then the decaf. (laughs) I think that's brilliant, you know, in order to navigate that because you still want that. uh, You want to be able to drink that hot. You know, they're, you know, we're, we are habitual creatures. So I think that's brilliant. A a nice little tip at, I want to make sure that everyone knows where to find you. And so I've put these throughout the screen a couple of times and for all of you listening and watching, it's always in the description of these videos, all of our guests on the show, there's a way to find out more from them. Mm -hmm. And so you can find out more about Jeff at his website at www.livingundeterred.com. Again, that's livingundeterred.com. And his incredible new accomplishment, uh, continued uh, research mm-hmm. and learning this to bring something great to the world, to our youth, is the Brighton app, which has an awesome name. And <laughs> I love the stem from that. It is www.brightonapp.app, and that is B-R-I-G-H-T-N dot app. And April, I would say my email for anyone that wants to email me, it's it's very simple. It's jeff at brightonapp.com. So jeff at B-R-I-G-H-T-N app. There's not a dot there. It's brightonapp.com. That's my email. You email me, I'll reach out to you. Um, you know, I, I, um, like I said, I, this is not a retirement plan or a part-time gig for me. This is my, this is what I'll do till my last breath. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, it's been so beautiful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, your rawness, your vulnerability, and being so open with us today. 
Now, thank and you for wanna, being on our show as well. I really appreciate this. this is the second time you've got to talk and I'm honored to be able to share these conversations with you. 100%. And I don't think it'll be the last. Nope. Because, you know, we we always have so much greatness to share in this incredible time and age where we can share it worldwide. So again, thank you so much, Jeff, for being on the show. Thank you to our audience. Without you, the Wellness Driven Life Show wouldn't be possible. So goodbye for now and stay tuned for later. Bye-bye.